Joe Biden swamps the competition in South Carolina. Super Tuesday approacheth, and that right soon. And the Trump administration deals with fallout from the spread of coronavirus. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let others track what you do. Keep yourself safe at expressvpn.com slash Ben. By the way, you may have noticed that everybody is panicked about coronavirus. I mean, the stock market dropped 4,000 points last week, lost over 10% of its value, which counts as a stock market correction. At that point, you may have been thinking, oh, I really should have listened to Ben and diversified into precious metals. That is correct, you should have, because the fact is that with volatility as high as it is, as it is, with the possibility of black swan events like coronavirus, with uncertainty coming from places like China and from Europe, policies that you can't control, why would you not be diversified at least a little bit into precious metals? Again, the stock market dropped so much last week and gold rose concomitantly because that is the way the stock market works. When there's uncertainty, it is good to be invested in something hard, a precious asset like precious metals. And Birch Gold Group can make that happen for you right now. Call Birch Gold right now. Convert your traditional IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA. If that's something you're interested in, hedge against what we've seen in the past week alone. If you haven't taken the first step of requesting a free information can on gold, you should know this is not a complicated process. It's very simple. You can ask all your questions, get all your answers. Birch Gold will go to work and make things super simple for you. They'll have a conversation with you. You can determine if precious metals make sense for you. And really, again, everybody should have some of their money in precious metals. Do not wait until the market drops more to protect your hard-earned savings. Text Ben to 474747 today to see how simple and straightforward this move can be for you. Again, text my name, Ben, to 474747. That's Ben to 474747. When it comes to precious metals investing, the people I trust are the folks over at Birch Gold. By the, by the way, so do, so do thousands of other satisfied customers. Countless five-star reviews, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Text Ben to forty seven. 4747 for more information. All righty. So tomorrow is Super Tuesday and it's going to be super. It's very, very Super Tuesday. Why? Well, because we finally have a competition. According to 538, there is now a two thirds chance of an open convention (laughs) in the Democratic Party, which is a nightmare scenario for the Democrats, because right now, the way that 538 has this thing gamed out, according to their latest poll statistics and their, their latest metrics, they believe that Sanders will go in to the convention, the Democratic convention, with a slight plurality of delegates. When I say slight, I mean super duper slight. When you look at the way they are, they're gaming this out, they say in the remaining 10,000 simulations, they run tons of simulations, then they sort of average the simulations. They're suggesting that Bernie Sanders would end up with around 1,600 delegates. You need 2,000 to clinch the nomination. He'd end up with about 1,600 delegates. Joe Biden would end up with about 1,450. Michael Bloomberg could end up with about 600 delegates. And Elizabeth Warren would end up with about 239 delegates, which means that Bloomberg and Biden combined would be just about like right at 2,000 delegates. And Sanders and Warren combined would be at like 1,900 delegates. So how exactly does that play out? Who the hell knows? Because presumably Warren throws her support to Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg throws his support to Joe Biden on the second ballot. And then you have the moderate ticket that overcomes the Bernie ticket. But the problem is that the Bernie ticket then walks out and most of his voters don't go and vote for Joe Biden because they don't like Joe Biden. So it's a real disaster area inside the Democratic Party. Things got a lot more complicated with Joe Biden winning big in South Carolina over the weekend. And a few things became obvious. One, black audience is not resonating to Bernie Sanders. Right? But Bernie does real well in very white states. He did very well in Iowa, did very well in New Hampshire. There's a lot of talk about how he did well with Latino audiences. But Latino audiences are not quite as polarized among Democratic candidates as black audiences are, obviously, because Joe Biden ran away, just skunked Bernie. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the black electorate in places like South Carolina is a church-going electorate, and Bernie is overtly non-religious, not only overtly non-religious, anti-religious in many cases. It's not just that he 
talks about how he's Jewish because that really has no impact. He is not Jewish in any real sense other than the ethnic. He's certainly not religiously Jewish. He is not culturally Jewish. Like there's nothing about him that's Jewish other than the fact that he was born into a Jewish family, which makes him technically ethnically Jewish. But that's not going to play extraordinarily well in church going states. His his sort of overt atheism and socialism, those are not going to play great in states like South Carolina, where Joe Biden is seen as more of a consensus pick. Joe Biden was resonating in South Carolina and he blew out, I mean, blew out Bernie Sanders. The the fact of the matter is this was meant to be, it was thought that this was going to be a close race. The conventional wisdom, which I had largely bought into prior to the kind of late breaking polls last week, is that Joe Biden had collapsed in the first three states. You can't lose the first three states this way and then have a massive comeback victory. The problem is that the electorate is so different in South Carolina demographically than the electorate is in any of the first three states that apparently you can. Apparently you can have something like a South Carolina firewall. And so Joe Biden, for the first time, actually demonstrates that a firewall works. So he just kills the competition. He won nearly 50% of the vote in South Carolina. And Bernie just got skunked in South Carolina. The final results in in South Carolina for for the Democrats, brutal. 48% for Joe Biden. 48.4%. He almost, he he more than doubled up Bernie. Bernie got 19.9%. Tom Steyer got 11.3%. And Pete Buttigieg got 8.2%. And Biden was was really excited about all this. He won 39 delegates to Bernie Sanders' 13. He's running an extraordinarily narrow delegate gap to Bernie. He's down by like five delegates going into Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday, of course, you have hundreds and hundreds of delegates who are up for grabs, 1,200, 1,300 delegates who are up for grabs. There's no question that Biden has momentum going into Super Tuesday. Joe Biden was pretty celebratory about it. He should be. It's the first Democratic primary he's ever won. He's run for president three times. This is the first Democratic primary he's ever won, and he won going away. By the way, if Barack Obama were to sound even a mild note of endorsement of Bernie uh, of Biden at this point, which is what he should do, because basically this race is now down to Biden and Bernie. Right? Bloomberg does not have a path to the nomination. There's no way that Bloomberg ends up with either a plurality of the delegates or that Bloomberg ends up with a majority of the delegates. So that means it's a two-man race. Why Obama wouldn't come out? He doesn't even have to endorse Biden. Just say, I trust Joe. Joe's wonderful, right? He doesn't even have to overtly endorse him. Just say some kind words right before Super Tuesday. It would make a big difference because one of the things that made a huge difference, apparently, was Jim Clyburn in South Carolina getting behind Joe Biden. Apparently, 25% by exit polls of the people who voted in that primary said that, that Jim Clyburn's endorsement of Joe Biden made a big difference. There's a reason that Joe Biden is also going around seeking endorsements of major political figures in states like Virginia. He got the endorsement from Senator Tim Kaine and the endorsement from former Governor Terry McAuliffe in Virginia over the weekend as well. So he's hoping to run up the scores in the various Southern states where there's a heavy black population. Because again, there is this massive demographic gap in the Democratic Party between upper class white liberals and young white liberals who apparently really like Bernie Sanders and everybody else who really likes Joe Biden. So Biden at his rally, on Saturday night, very excited. He says, Democrats want a Democratic nominee. We don't want a socialist. We want a Democratic nominee. Democrats want to nominate someone who will build on Obamacare, not scrap it. Take, take on the NRA and gun manufacturers, not protect them. Stand up and give the poor a fighting chance and the middle class get restored, not raise their taxes and make, keep the promises we make. Then join us. And if the Democrats want a nominee who's a Democrat, yeah, and, and that is him saying, this guy's too radical. You should not do this. Now, here's the thing. If Biden comes away from Super Tuesday, anywhere within remote distance of Bernie, he ends up with a plurality, plurality of the delegates. So tomorrow matters an awful lot because once this is down to a two-man race, let's say Bloomberg underperforms. So 
what's what's weird about the way that the Democratic primaries work for folks who don't understand the process, the Republican primaries, if you win a plurality of the votes in a state, you win the entirety of the delegates. This is how Donald Trump never won more than 50 percent in a state through the vast majority of the primaries, but ended up with a majority of the delegates because he was winning 30, 35 percent. But it was enough to win. And because it was enough to win, he won all the delegates. Right. So he ends up with, with a majority of the delegates at the convention. Democrats don't work that way. All of their primaries are proportional representation. That means that if Joe Biden wins 30 percent and Bernie wins 20 percent, then Joe Biden wins 30 percent of the delegates and Joe Biden and, and Bernie wins 20 percent of the delegates. Now, there is one exception. There's a cutoff. If you win 10 percent of the votes in a particular state, that's below the cutoff. You have to have 15 percent of the votes in a particular state like California in order to win any delegates at all. And in California, we're going to examine the state by state in just a moment. In California, that's going to make an awful lot of difference because California is the most delegate rich state for the Democrats. If Joe Biden finishes at 12 percent, it's a disaster for him. If he finishes at 16 percent and Bernie wins 35 percent, that's still not a disaster for Joe Biden. But bottom line is this. If Super Tuesday ends up relatively even with Biden in just like a slight downward motion with, let's say that, that Bernie has 600 delegates and Biden has 560 delegates or something. What you're going to end up with is Biden is the nominee. And the reason you're going to end up with Biden as the nominee is as the field consolidates, all the money's going to push behind Biden. You're headed into a bunch of delegate-rich states like Florida, where Biden is likely to swamp Bernie. So this thing is actually a race now. It's actually a race. Biden was pushing over the weekend, pushing very hard. He says Bernie can't win over the weekend. He, of course, is making a case. that This is his entire case. His entire case is I'm electable against Trump and Bernie is not. I can win and I can bring along Democratic victories up and down the state. I can keep the United States, I can win the United States Senate at the top of the ticket. I can keep the House and increase the number in the House. I can go into every state in the nation. I can go into purple states and we can win. I can win in places where I don't think Bernie can win in the general election. And that is his case. That's his case. Now, as we will see, there's still a bit of a delusion to Biden, right, that he's running a strong campaign or that he's going to lock this thing up before the before the end of the primary season or that he even knows what he's talking about. There are serious problems with the Biden campaign, namely Joe Biden. We'll get to that in just a moment. But then we're going to examine the field consolidating because Pete Buttigieg, out. Tom Steyer, out. Elizabeth Warren, hanging around for no reason, just like John Kasich in 2016. For some odd reason, she thinks that she's going to be the nominee. For No one understands why. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the Second Amendment. So the reality is that as we live in a country with an ever-growing government, as we live in a country where it seems like a lot of the members of the population want to disarm other members of the population, the Second Amendment becomes ever more valuable because the Second Amendment is the great protector of all of the other rights in the Constitution. I obviously believe this. So do the folks over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility. Building a rifle is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing builds a professional-grade product built to combat standards. That's because BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless whether they're a private citizen or a professional. The people at BCM assume when a rifle leaves their shop, it will be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested to a life-saving standard. The people at BCM feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail when it is not just a paper target. BCM also works with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special ops forces, from, from Marine Corps force reconnaissance to U.S. Army special ops forces, teaching you the skills necessary to defend yourself, your family, or others. I own firearms to protect my rights and to protect my family. You should, too, if you're a responsible citizen. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products 
special offers, upcoming news. That is Bravo Company, MFG.com. You can also check out their awesome videos. Meet the people who make their products at YouTube.com slash Bravo Company USA. Get the best gun on the market, Bravo Company, MFG.com. They have all sorts of other gear you want to check out. Bravo Company, MFG.com. Okay, so Joe Biden did have a big win in South Carolina. He does have momentum, serious momentum going into Super Tuesday. We're going to examine that in just a second. But look, Joe Biden still has flaws in his campaign. And when Joe Biden says, for example, over the weekend, he said, I can win this before the convention. No, he can't. He can't. He basically has no shot of winning this thing before the convention. According to 538, his shot of winning a majority of delegates before the convention is like one in seven. Bernie Sanders, by the way, down to one in five. As 538 estimates, two thirds chance that it's an open convention, which is, again, a disaster area for Democrats. Can you imagine how mad the Bernie bros will be if Bernie walks in with a with a plurality of the delegates, like 100 more delegates than Joe Biden and Biden walks away with the nomination? Can you imagine the insanity that's going to break out in the Democratic Party halls? Can you imagine how bad it'll be conversely if they hand it to Bernie and Biden and Bloomberg have a combined 200 more delegates than Bernie and Warren? Can you imagine how the moderate wing is going to react to all of that? I mean, that the chaos inside the convention is going to be madness. Here is Joe Biden trying to whistle through the graveyard saying he can win before the convention. Do you think you can win this primary uh, uh, before the convention or do you think it's inevitable that... It's inevitable, though, that you and Sanders may have to work this out at the convention. I think I can win it before the convention. But again, I, I, I'm not. Look, all I know is I think we're moving into, in, into constituencies that are constituencies. When they hear me, they've always been mine. And that, that's him basically saying, no, we're going to we're going to go all the way to the convention. By the way, what SOP can he offer to Bernie that is going to satisfy Bernie? What's going to make him U.N. ambassador? Like, what, what exactly can Biden offer to Bernie that is going to make Bernie quiescent about all of this. Bernie has a movement. There's no reason for Bernie to go into a Biden administration. There's no reason for him to tie his tie his shoelaces to, to Joe Biden's shoelaces, right? Then he gets none of the credit if Joe Biden wins and all of the blame if Joe Biden loses. Like there's, an, it's an unbridgeable gap inside the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, again, whistling past the graveyard, saying that the lack of Barack Obama's endorsement isn't hurting him. It is. I mean, if Barack Obama came out tomorrow and endorsed him, Biden would win the nomination and he'd win it walking away. But Obama's not getting involved, which is, Truly an amazing spectacle that Obama, who hates Sanders and thinks that Sanders is a tool bag because he is and who supposedly likes Joe Biden, won't come out at this point in a highly contested primary season and just say, I like Joe. Doesn't even have to endorse him. Doesn't even have to say I'd vote for Joe. I mean, he, he should say I'd vote for Joe over Sanders. Right? Who, who are you voting for, Barack? I'm voting for Joe. Like, why wouldn't he just say that? It's pretty incredible that he's been silent about all of this. Here is Joe Biden suggesting that it's not a problem for him that Obama hasn't endorsed him. It isn't hurting me, and I don't think it's time. He and I have talked about this in the very beginning. I have to earn this on my own. Remember, George, the first thing that everybody said when I announced the opposition, uh, the Democratic opposition, said, well, Biden feels entitled because he's vice president. Imagine had the president endorsed me. It would have been, well, Biden's entitled because he, th- he thinks he's entitled because uh, the he's just a, he, the, the bottom line is that the only reason that anybody takes Joe Biden remotely seriously is because Barack Obama was the president and Joe Biden was his vice president. Joe Biden's run for president twice before not received a single electoral vote, not one. So not one delegate. So obviously this is all about Obama. Meanwhile, again, the biggest threat to Joe Biden is the fact that he is Joe Biden. Right? The biggest upside to Joe Biden for Democrats is that he has the, the patina, uh, the, the sort of, shine of of Barack Obama on him, the halo of Barack Obama on him. If he were not that, he would be nothing because this is a guy who bumbles and fumbles and he's terrible, right? Here was Joe Biden yesterday confusing Ebola with coronavirus. 
done on health care by building on Obamacare with a Biden Medicare option in it. I can do this in terms of Ebola. I mean, excuse me, in terms of dealing with the issues that relate to what we put together when we faced the pandemic of Ebola. What the hell is he even talking about? I mean, like, there's just not a lot going on in that head. Meanwhile, the field is consolidating. Pete Buttigieg has ended his run. Pete Buttigieg was the most talented politician in this field. He also was the guy who was smart enough to get out now right? because he recognized that if you were to stay in and complicate this, if you were to split votes, if you were to take away a few delegates from Joe Biden and then be blamed for Bernie Sanders' rise, then it would be very bad for him. Now, here's the problem for Buttigieg. People keep saying he'll be able to run for president again and it'll all be fine. No, this is pretty much it for, for Pete Buttigieg because unless he is appointed to some sort of role inside a Democratic administration, he has no pathway to glory. He's in Indiana. Unless he carpet bags it over to New York or carpet bags it over to Massachusetts, he ain't going anywhere in Indiana. Indiana's a red state. It's increasingly red. When he ran statewide, he lost by 20 points. So the problem for Pete Buttigieg is that Buttigieg really had no upward trajectory inside his own state, which is why he ran as mayor of South Bend, Indiana. What's he just going to stay mayor of South Bend, Indiana and then run for president again? So Buttigieg obviously made a lot of waves because he's gay. He, I mean, again, let's be real about this. If he were a straight man, he certainly wouldn't have made the sort of national waves that he did. He's a very talented guy. He is smug and awful. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is the guy who was also lecturing Americans about how they were bad Christians if they didn't agree with his take on abortion and same-sex marriage, which is patently crazy. But Buttigieg is a talented guy. People in the Democratic Party who are patting him on the head and saying, well, he'll be back someday. He'll be back someday. Not unless he's appointed to Secretary of Defense. Otherwise, Pete Buttigieg's day in the sunshine is over, yes, at age 38. Because again, he has no upward trajectory inside of his states. Unless he carpet bags it or unless he's appointed inside a Democratic administration, it's over for him. But he understands that his smart role is to get out. Again, the smartest politician in the race was Buttigieg. He made the smartest move now, which is get out right now. Don't wait until things get complicated. Meanwhile, the dummy Elizabeth Warren is staying in to complicate things for, for Bernie Sanders, which is kind of fascinating. So Buttigieg is being treated with all sorts of plaudits this morning, despite the fact that he really is insufferable on a wide variety of levels. Yesterday, he announced that he was dropping out because he has to help the new Democratic nominee speaking from South Bend. Recognize that at this point in the race, the best way to keep faith with those goals and ideals is to step aside and help bring our party and our country together. So tonight, I am making the difficult decision to suspend my campaign for the presidency. I will no longer seek to be the 2020 Democratic nominee for president, but I will do everything in my power to ensure that we have a new Democratic president come January. He and Biden are trading voicemails, by the way. So there's a significant possibility that after Super Tuesday, you could see people, if it's competitive, you could see Pete Buttigieg jump into the Biden camp and and you could see Biden presumably you know, give give Buttigieg exactly what he needs, which is some sort of cabinet appointment. That's the only thing that Buttigieg has in terms of a political future is some sort of cabinet appointment. And so him trading that to Biden in favor of, of whatever level of support Buttigieg has nationally, which is not great, but is something that, that would be the smart move by Buttigieg, which presumably is why he was not trading phone calls with Bernie Sanders. Meanwhile, Tom Steyer has also announced that he is out, the billionaire who spent like $200 million on this campaign to win two delegates or something. This guy spent something like $3,300 per vote in South Carolina. <laughs> he announced that he was out. He's going to throw presumably his massive, massive support behind Bernie Sanders. I mean, the guy was desperately trying to get a hug from Bernie Sanders nearly the entire campaign. Here was Steyer announcing he was dropping out. There's no question today that this campaign, we were disappointed with where we came out. I think we got one or two delegates from congressional districts, which I thank South Carolina for. 
and the people. But I said, if I didn't see a path to winning, that I'd suspend my campaign. And honestly, I can't see a path where I can win the presidency. So am I going to continue to work on every single one of these issues? Yes, of course I am. Okay, so here is where we now stand. We have a consolidation of the field. Buttigieg is out. He was expected by 538 to win about 50 delegates over the course of the of the Super Tuesday contest. He will win some delegates anyway because there's all this early voting. And early vote, this just shows you why early voting is stupid. Some 300,000 people have already cast ballots in California. And many of them have cast ballots for people who are not even on the ballot anymore, right? People who are not going to matter. People like Pete Buttigieg. So that, that's pretty amazing. But let's assume that most of Buttigieg's delegates move over to Biden. Well, that means that according to 538, looking at the numbers that they are putting forth, this is the average number of delegates each Democratic presidential candidate is forecasted to receive from each Super Tuesday contest. According to their 538 primary forecast, this would be as of 1130 a.m. Eastern yesterday. They were suggesting that Sanders would walk away with about 540 delegates from Super Tuesday, that Biden would walk away with about 395, that Bloomberg would walk away with about 194, and that Buttigieg would walk away with 50 and Warren with 133. Well, Bloomberg and Buttigieg, it really depends on whether you think that Bloomberg's numbers are actually real. And I, I, I have serious doubts that Bloomberg's numbers are real. I think that Bloomberg is going to perform once he's on the ballot, almost exactly like Tom Steyer did. Tom Steyer was running 15 to 20 percent in South Carolina. Once he was actually on the ballot in South Carolina and people were forced to choose and they recognized that Steyer was not a viable candidate, then they just didn't vote for him. He got 11 percent of the vote and most of that went to other candidates. I think you're going to see the same thing happen with Michael Bloomberg, who is fully delusional at this point. Bloomberg is just walking around as though he has a shot at the nomination. He had one narrow path. His narrow path was that Biden completely collapsed in South Carolina, that Bernie won or came close to winning, and that then he could call on Joe Biden to drop out. Because it's true that if you want to win a majority of the delegates, there has to be a consolidation behind one candidate. The problem right now is that Biden just showed signs of life and not just showed signs of life, showed serious life in South Carolina. Well, that means that Bloomberg and Biden are now splitting a lane. And so assume for a second that, that Bloomberg were not in the race, presumably those 195 delegates somewhere in that neighborhood, none of those people are going to go to Bernie. Presumably, nearly all of those people would have gone to Joe Biden. Well, if those delegates had moved over to Joe Biden, guess who your new delegate leader would have been? Joe Biden, by a pretty significant margin. So I think that a lot of what happens on Super Tuesday is dependent on where Bloomberg stands in a lot of the southern states. Because remember, if Bloomberg wins below 15% in those states, those delegates don't go to Bloomberg. Instead, a lot of those delegates kick up to the front runner, Joe Biden. So I think that Biden is actually going to outperform on Super Tuesday. This is my this is my my edgy prediction. I think that Biden is going to overperform on Super Tuesday. I think that South Carolina shows people he's viable. I think he's going to get a lot of endorsements today and early tomorrow. I think that in southern states, he's absolutely going to clean up. I think in California, he is going I think he's going to surpass the, the delegate margin in California necessary to gain some delegates. I think that the the. Race is going to be pretty close coming out of Super Tuesday. I do not think this is a, a Bernie Sanders walk, walk over come Super Tuesday. So I'm, in just one second, I'm going to get to some of the actual polling from the various Super Tuesday states because the polling is pretty sporadic in a lot of these states. But we're going to explain which states are up and how many delegates they have and who is likely to win those states. We're going to get to all of that in just one second. First, it's hard to plan for the future, man. It is hard to plan for the future. It's particularly hard to plan for your own death because who the hell knows? Right? I mean, that's something that we all worry about. We all stay up nights worrying about. But one thing is certain. 
you should make sure that your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something happens to you. And this is why you ought to have life insurance. If you're a responsible adult, your, your family needs a stream of income. If God forbid something happens to you, this is why you should go over to Policy Genius right now and go get life insurance. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find your best price. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. It's very important to get life insurance. That doesn't mean it needs to be difficult to get. You don't have to do this through word of mouth and get a bad deal just because a friend told you about a life insurance policy from their friend. Instead, why don't you competitively shop the same way you would for any decent product? Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and the red tape for free. And Policy Genius doesn't just do life insurance, they do all sorts of insurance home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance. If life doesn't play out the way that you expected, well, the least you can do is get the insurance to make sure that your family is taken care of. Check them out at policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Everybody gets the future wrong better. Get life insurance right. That's policygenius.com. Okay, so let's go through some of these Super Tuesday states. You have all the data you need. You can play with these numbers yourself. One of the fun things to do if you're very bored at work today is you can go, there are a bunch of delegate counters, calculators, and you can go in and you can sort of estimate what percentage of the vote you think various candidates are going to win in a lot of these states. Okay, so the big prize on Super Tuesday is, of course, California. The problem is that the polls don't close until 8 p.m. Pacific time, and we're not even going to see results in California until very late. So that cuts in favor of Joe Biden. Why? Because that is Bernie's biggest winning state, right? If Bernie does real well in California, we're not going to know until the next day. You're really not going to know it. So that means that if Biden shows a lot of momentum in the other states, then he could get a lot of big headlines out of Super Tuesday night because, again, the biggest prize on the map is Bernie Bernie, for Bernie is California, and California is going to show up really late, like 11 p.m. Eastern is when the polls close. So Latinos are expected to make about 30% of the electorate. Sanders won Latinos overwhelmingly in Nevada. The suggestion is he might run up the score with them in California as well. But it is also necessary to say that in Nevada, everybody is heavily unionized. It is also necessary to say that in Nevada, it's a much smaller state. I mean, the, the sample size itself is much smaller. So Sanders did lose California to Hillary Clinton in 2016. He spent a ton of money. He spent about seven million bucks on ads, according to NPR. Biden has spent no money on California TV ads. He has spent 4,000 bucks on digital ads. But apparently the early voting was fairly slow. Bloomberg is currently polling below the 15% threshold required to get delegates in all of these contests. Warren is teetering around the delegate threshold percentage too. The question is whether she gets 15%. Also, there were no exit polls in 2016. Black voters in 2008 in California were only 7% of the electorate, but the California Democratic Party is estimating the black black Americans make up about 16% of the party in the state of California. So maybe they show up in heavy numbers. So what do the polls say about California? Well, the most recent poll is a poll from Emerson, and it does show Joe Biden surpassing that 15% delegate threshold, which is a big deal for Joe Biden. It's not about Biden winning California. It is about Biden showing up above the 15% delegate threshold because were he to show up above that 15% delegate threshold, well, then he would win enough delegates to make some serious trouble for Bernie. Bernie needs to run away with California. He needs to win 300 delegates in California. And if there are three candidates who are above the delegate threshold, and right now that is where Warren is polling, she's also above the delegate threshold in a lot of these states. Well, that is a problem for Bernie. There's a CBS YouGov poll that came out just before the South Carolina primaries, and that one only showed Sanders up 31-19 over Biden, and with Warren at 18. So, there, by the way, Bloomberg was getting 12, and Buttigieg was getting 7 to 9% of the vote in all of these polls. Right? So if Buttigieg was getting 7, and that 7 kicks over to Biden, suddenly Biden is looking a lot more viable in states like California. 
So that is where things stand in California. Bloomberg is running below 15%, but he's still pulling somewhere between 11 and 15%. How many moderate Democrats in California now look at Bloomberg and they go, okay, that guy can't win the nomination, but you know who can would be Joe Biden. So I think that Biden is going to overperform the polling in California. I think that Biden is going to perform 23 to 25% in California, which would be a big win for Biden. In Texas, the Democratic primary polling in Texas shows Sanders with a lead in the real clear politics poll average. Again, the latest two polls in Texas, which does have a serious number of delegates, 228 delegates at stake. Polling shows that Sanders is up in average in the text in the in the real clear politics polling average about six percent. I don't think Sanders is going to win Texas. I think Biden's going to win Texas. I think that I think that's going to be the big shock of the night is that I do not think that Sanders is going to pull out Texas because the fact is that Texas Democrats are still not as radical as the rest of the Democratic Party across the country. They're radical in Austin, but they're not radical anywhere else. Okay, right now, the Emerson poll shows Sanders with 31 and Biden with 26 and Bloomberg at 16. I don't think Bloomberg is going to show at 16. I don't think Bloomberg is going to show at 13. I think Bloomberg is going to, I don't know that Bloomberg is going to break 10% in Texas. I think I think the big story of the night is Bloomberg is going to underperform and Biden's going to overperform. And now, hold me to my dumb prediction after it turns out I'm wrong about all this. And I would never put my own money on my own betting because I did that in 2016. Didn't work out great for me. But I have a feeling that South Carolina, the media coverage, the fact that Biden's going to get a lot of big endorsements over the next 48 hours, I think that means that you're going to see Bloomberg start to collapse. Because again, the reason that Bloomberg was almost a placeholder. When people are polled about Bloomberg, it's a placeholder for Biden. It was people saying, okay, well, it it was more referendum on Biden than it was on Bloomberg. So if people thought that Biden was going to collapse, they said, I'm going to vote for Bloomberg. If they think that Biden is going to not collapse, then they say, I'm going to vote for Biden. So all of these polls are not taking into account South Carolina. And the ones that are taking into account South Carolina are showing a significant bump for Joe Biden, right? That Emerson poll, the ones that came out, they, they were done on Saturday and then through Sunday. Those polls are showing Biden significantly outperforming the other polls. And that's not taking into account his South Carolina victory except for one day of the poll, that Emerson poll. That's showing Biden up at 26%, again, to Sanders is 31. Even the CBS News YouGov poll in Texas shows Sanders up 30 to 26 over Biden. Well, what about three days of great coverage for Joe Biden? What about three days of Joe Mentum coverage for Joe Biden? I think that I think Biden's going to pull out Texas. I think that I think that Biden is going to overperform in Texas, which is real trouble for Bernie Sanders. Then you get to North Carolina. North Carolina, the problem for for Bernie in North Carolina is that black voters represent about a third of the electorate. 61% of voters in North Carolina are 45 and older. Okay, so both groups do favor Biden. The percentages of both are lower in North Carolina than in South Carolina. But right now, the polling in, in North Carolina is not reflective of reality. It just isn't. Okay, the polling in North Carolina right now shows Biden up only four points on Sanders, according to East Carolina U. That came out before the South Carolina results. That's before the South Carolina results. Remember, in the polling averages for South Carolina, Biden was only winning about 35 to 40% of the vote. He showed 48% of the vote in South Carolina, significantly outperformed. He outperformed the 538 estimates by eight percentage points in South Carolina. I think you're going to see the same thing in North Carolina. I think you're going to see Biden walk all over Sanders in North Carolina. I think you're going to see that Bloomberg vote collapse. I think you're going to see Biden easily surpass 30% in North Carolina. I think it's going to be more like 35% in North Carolina. When it comes to Massachusetts, I think Sanders is going to win Massachusetts walking away. I do not think it's going to be that close. Right now, the polls show Sanders and Warren very close in Massachusetts, which is another big prize. I think Sanders is going to do much better because I think that the Bernie bros are going to really mobilize there. Not only are they really going to mobilize, I think that the Warren crowd is going to realize that she has no shot at the nomination. So while she may do okay, I don't think that she is going to be competitive with Bernie. I think that Bernie takes that state 
my five points. Uh, I, I, and then I think you move on to Minnesota, which is another delegate heavy state there. I think that Bernie, I think that Bernie wins, but narrowly. I think that Klobuchar does show in Minnesota. She is very popular in her home state in a way that Elizabeth Warren isn't. Elizabeth Warren, dirty little secret. Elizabeth Warren ain't that popular in Massachusetts, at least not more popular than any normal Democrat. It's not like she's wildly more popular than whatever placeholder Democrat had held that Senate seat before. Okay, Virginia is another is another state with a heavy black population. Virginia has 99 delegates at stake. Unite the country, a super PAC supporting Biden, believes Biden is starting to do well, not just with black voters, but with white women over the age of 40. Okay, that probably is true because Bernie does not do particularly well. There are not a lot of good polls out of Virginia. The Virginia polling is, is very weak right now. All we know in Virginia is that the Democrat, let's see, the, the latest Democrat polls from Virginia had Sanders and Bloomberg and Biden basically within spitting distance of one another. That was conducted before Bloomberg's first debate in Las Vegas and before Joe Biden won South Carolina. So I think that you're going, Hillary Clinton won two thirds of white women in, in Virginia and she ran all over Bernie in Virginia. So I think that Biden is going to, I think if you had to, if you had to ballpark this thing, assume that Biden is going to perform very much like Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Okay, on Super Tuesday, she ran up a delegate lead in 2016. I think that, that Biden is going to underperform Hillary in places like California and New York and Massachusetts, but I think that he is going to perform almost exactly like Hillary in a lot of these southern states. Colorado is a, is a heavily Latino state, about 67 delegates at stake in Colorado. Again, not fantastic polling from a lot of these, from a lot of these states. Colorado is another one where there's just not that, many, not, not that great polling. But with that said, you know, it, it is super. It, is it plausible that that it's con, that it's competitive in some place like Colorado? Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly plausible. So it's bottom line is that it is a mess right now, but that mess is not necessarily cutting in Bernie's favor. So all the talk last week was that Bernie was going to run away with this thing in very short order. I'm not seeing a lot of evidence that that's going to happen. I think that this is, uh, I, I think Biden's going to overperform. I think that, uh, that Bernie's going to perform exactly like he thought. I think Bloomberg is going to be the real story. I think Bloomberg is going to collapse. I think contact between voters and Bloomberg is toxic for Bloomberg. By the way, I, I'm not mentioning Tennessee, where I think Biden's really going to run up the score. I'm not mentioning Alabama, where I think Biden's really going to run up the score. Oklahoma, where I think Biden is going to run up the score. Arkansas, where he's going to run up the score. Utah, I think that you're going to see Sanders win. Maine, you're going to see Sanders win. Vermont, you're going to see Sanders win. But it is not implausible to believe that Joe Biden walks away from Super Tuesday if he doesn't have a delegate lead because of California. At the very least, he is very, very close after Super Tuesday. And then we move on to a bunch of states that are very, very conducive for the Demo for the current former Democratic vice president. Right? We move into the, the rest of the primary calendar looks a lot better for Joe Biden than it does for Bernie Sanders. I'm looking at the, the presidential election calendar right now. So here's how it goes after Super Tuesday. March 10th, you get Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Washington. Washington is good for Bernie. North Dakota is probably good for Bernie. Idaho is probably good for Bernie. Michigan, probably good for Bernie. Maybe not. That, that could be Biden territory. Mississippi and Missouri, very, very good for Joe Biden. And then you move on to March 17th, Arizona, which could be good for Bernie, but Florida, which is awful for Bernie. Ohio, which is probably not great for Bernie. And Illinois, which is probably not great for Bernie because Chicago's in Illinois, right? So, this, so the fact is that the, the, this race starts as, as the time goes on and as Joe Biden remains competitive, this race starts to tilt 
slowly toward Joe Biden and away from Bernie Sanders. So we open. there's a reason 538's got the open convention possibility at a 65%, 65%. And by the way, in terms of their majority of delegates, they're showing Joe, they're, they're showing Bernie at just a 21% to get it and a 14% for Joe Biden. So basically they're running pretty close to even. In their average number of delegates, they expect to be one. Again, Bernie Sanders, 1612, Biden, 1449. They're expecting Bloomberg to win 591. I think that's an overestimate of Bloomberg. I think Bloomberg is going to fall apart. I think Bloomberg and, and I think the ads that Bloomberg is taking out are largely going to be directed not against Joe Biden. They're going to be directed against Bernie Sanders. So I would suspect that at least 200 of the delegates that are being allocated to Bloomberg right now are instead going to cut up to Joe Biden. So quite plausible that Biden is your leader in the clubhouse, that he wins a plurality of delegates, which is the be- that, that is the best case scenario for the Democrats, by the way. The best case scenario for the Democrats is that Biden has a plurality of the delegates going into the convention. That is best case scenario. And it's not implausible. It's not implausible. We're going to know so much more after tomorrow night, after Super Tuesday. But like I say, this whole thing has been about momentum. Bernie has not been able to run up the score, except in Nevada. Nevada is the only state where he ran up the score. In Iowa, he underperformed. In New Hampshire, he underperformed. He lost to Pete Buttigieg in Iowa. He barely beat Pete Buttigieg in New Hampshire. And Pete Buttigieg is out of the race. Now that you have an actual Democratic candidate in Joe Biden, who has actual minority support and older voter support, I'm not, I said two weeks ago, I thought that Bernie was unstoppable. That was before South Carolina. South Carolina made an awful lot of difference. And tomorrow night, we are going to find out just how much of a difference all of that made. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to Bernie Sanders, who seems to be already sort of doing the whiny routine, which is kind of interesting. Like he's he's preemptively whining. He's not acting like a front runner. Bernie Sanders is comfortable being the guy in second place because he can attack everybody else. Bernie as the front runner looks, he looks fragile. He looks radical. He looks like somebody you don't want as your front runner. He, he's the person who stands outside the party and criticizes. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to that. But first, Super Tuesday has come upon us. An octogenarian socialist is in the lead to face off against President Trump. Now, if Bernie Sanders were to run this company, everything here would be free. Free memberships, free advertising, free pudding cups. In reality, we would then be bankrupt. Nonetheless, we have great savings in store for you because we are a capitalist company. So we are going to give you savings, a better deal in competition with others. And we are going to make money for ourselves to keep all of our unemployable derelicts employed. Right now, you can become a Daily Wire member for 25% off on any plan using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. I don't know about you guys, but savings like these always make my Tumblr overflow with leftist tears. Daily Wire members get an ad-free website experience, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, access to the mailbag, and now exclusive election inside op-eds from yours truly. Join us for special events like tomorrow's Super Tuesday episode of Daily Wire Backstage. We'll be breaking down and covering all of the Super Tuesday election updates in real time. As a member, you can ask questions that we will answer on the backstage live stream. I also want to announce the Sunday special is back. We kicked off the first episode of the season yesterday with controversial guest Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA. Daily Wire members get to watch special bonus content available only on dailywire.com. Along with all of this, of course, you get the magnificent, the irreplaceable, the singular leftist tears tumbler. If you haven't already, download the Daily Wire app so you can get all of our great content on the go. Again, that is 20% off on Daily Wire memberships for all plans using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Super Tuesday calls for super savings. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Act now before it's too late. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Also, we would like to hear from you. Tell us who you think will win the Democratic nomination by texting either Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, or Warren to 8300-83400-83400. And on Tuesday night during our Daily Wire backstage, we'll analyze the results live again. Text either Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, Warren to 83400. We'll analyze the results on Daily Wire backstage this Tuesday. You are listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. 
All righty. So Bernie Sanders, meanwhile, continues to be radical. He continues to be off-putting. And his people are basically now in full-on wine mode because they think that everybody is biased against Bernie. Well, maybe people just don't like Bernie outside of sort of the core Bernie bros because number one, the Bernie bros are kind of jerks. And second, Bernie's a nut. I mean, like a full-on nut. So Bernie Sanders, he had one of his advisors is a guy named Mo Racha. And he, and he came out yesterday. He said, it's not just MSNBC biased against us. Everyone is biased against us. Okay, guys, it's not called a bias against you when people finally start asking basic, basic questions about how garbage your candidate is. Right? It was biased for years when they didn't ask those questions. Here was, sorry, it's Chuck Racha, the Bernie 2020 senior advisor on CNN, complaining that everybody, everybody's mean to Bernie. Stop being mean to Bernie, guys. What is the heart of the issue that's been going back months? For several months now, the Sanders campaign has been charging MSNBC with bias. <laughs> well, look, I don't think it's just MSNBC. We've worst, we've won the first three contests. And if you're watching certain networks, you would think we've been behind in every one because we get very little coverage. I just want to make sure that the American people are finding out all they can find out about our movement, about our people, because the people in the movement and raising $50 million, $60 million from all these people are news. And we should be talking about changing democracy in the way we fund campaigns. Okay, so first of all, I'm pretty sure everybody was talking about Bernie, and that was his big problem. He had the same problem that Bloomberg was had, which was that he was unexamined, then he was examined, and people were like, ah, don't really like this very much. Bernie's continue, Bernie continues to be a radical idiot. Over the weekend, he was interviewed and again ripped into APAC because it's a, he's a very proud Jew, guys. I mean, I'm so sick of hearing about how proud a Jew the guy is when he repeats basic anti-Semitic nostrums, and it's like, okay, because he was born into a Jewish family, even though he hangs out with blatant anti-Semites all the time. Like if this came out of Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar's mouth, we'd all recognize exactly what it is. But because Bernie is saying it, we have to pretend it isn't what it is. Here's Bernie Sanders being an idiot. Do you see a political cost in taking on the pro-Israel lobby in this way? Yeah, I do. I mean, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of power. Look, I'm Jewish and I'm very proud of my Jewish heritage. As a kid, I spent time in Israel. I am not anti-Israel. I will do everything I can to protect the independence and the security and the freedom of the Israeli people. But what we need in this country is a foreign policy that not only protects Israel, but deals with the suffering of the Palestinian people as well. First of all, he sounds terrible. Second of all, I mean, when when he's out there ranting about the pro-Israel lobby and how powerful it is, really, because Nancy Pelosi refused to even condemn Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and puts them on covers of magazines. By the way, I never hear about how powerful the, the pro-Italy lobby is or the pro-Britain lobby is in the United States. I mean, it's just, it, it, again, this sort of stuff has been sort of stock in trade of left-wing anti-Semitism for a very long time. And the fact that Bernie traffics in it and then claims that he is a proud Jew because he once spent some time on a kibbutz when he was 17 back in 1322 is, uh, is, very, is more than irrelevant to me. But bottom line is the more people see of Bernie, even inside the Democratic Party, the more that they are, are wary of Bernie as the nominee, as well they should be. Okay, meanwhile, President Trump is having trouble with the economy. Obviously, the Dow Jones Industrial Average seems to have stabilized a little bit today. Basically, it's seeking a floor. Uh, It jumped as of this morning as people start to become a little bit more confident that coronavirus isn't going to be the be-all, end-all. Uncertainty is what led to that drop in in the stock market last week, that 4,000-point stock market drop. Now everything is being priced in. The fact that there are production delays, the less information that's out there, the more people are scared, the more people are scared, the more they sell and the more they invest in bonds. So all of the talk about how millions of people would die due to coronavirus, the fact that the economic supply chains were disrupted, all of that was being priced into the stock market. Now it seems like the stock market is finding a bottom. And when I mean that it's finding a bottom, it's kind of sort of a stable floor 
for the stock market as people readjust earnings expectations for the year and don't expect that there's going to be any more massive and significant shocks to the economy. So all of that was getting priced in very quickly last week as people were sort of thinking worst case scenario. Is coronavirus a real crisis at this point? The answer is probably not. The reason that I say probably not is because we now have some more information about exactly what coronavirus is, what it does, and what the risk factors are. The New York Times has quite a good piece about this, talking about sort of the facts on coronavirus by Denise Grady, comparing it with the flu. Say coronavirus is deadlier than the flu so far. On average, seasonal flu strains kill about 0.1% of people who become infected. The 1918 Spanish flu had about a 2% fatality rate, and it was extremely contagious. Early estimates of the coronavirus death rate from Wuhan had been around 2%, but there was a new report on 1,100 cases from many parts of China published on Friday in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it finds a 1.4% coronavirus death rate. And as the New York Times points out, the coronavirus death rate may be even lower if, as most experts suspect, there are mild or symptom-free cases that have not been detected. Also, China's been lying about this thing for months. So the, the bad news is that it may be incredibly transmissible. The good news is that if it's incredibly transmissible and not all that many people are dying, then your death rate goes down. So as the denominator goes up, meaning the number of people infected, and the numerator stays stable, meaning the number of people who die, the death rate goes down. The true, the true death rate, according to the New York Times, could be similar to that of a severe seasonal flu, well below 1%. That's according to an editorial published in the journal by Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. H. Clifford Lane of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, as well as Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the Center for Disease Control. Even MSNBC's medical experts are saying average Americans should not be panicked about this thing. It is not going to wipe out vast portions of the American population. Here is MSNBC's medical expert. I believe his name is Joe Fair. This is clip 19. Now, with the data we have, and I emphasize the data that we have, just because we haven't rolled out broad testing at, uh, nationally yet, um, your average individual American doesn't need to be that concerned right now of, of catching this virus. However, community-based transmission in one state means that there is probably community-based transmission in, in other states. Once we roll out that testing and, and lower the criteria for being tested for COVID-19, we're probably going to see a lot more cases than we thought were here previously. Now, again, he's saying there are a lot more cases than, than we're here, but that means that they've been here for a while and nobody's been noticing them because we don't have vast swaths of the population that have been dying out. We have two coronavirus deaths total in the United States. Apparently, it was going undetected for weeks on end in Washington state. Apparently, it's already been here for a while and nobody's really noticed it, which doesn't suggest that this is the Black Plague. Also, again, because China has been so non-transparent, that means that the figures on coronavirus seem to have been exaggerated. So, for example, the New York Times reports each person with the coronavirus appears to infect 2.2 other people on average, but that figure is skewed by the fact that the epidemic was not managed well in Wuhan, so everybody was infecting each other. And also on that Diamond Princess cruise, everybody was infecting each other because they were quarantined together, right? Which means that everybody is in contact with each other regularly who has the flu. The figure for the seasonal flu is about 1.3. The reproduction number for the flu of 1918 was about the same as that of the new coronavirus, but that was before modern treatments and vaccines were both available. Now, there are no vaccines for this virus yet, but those are being developed as we speak. They are figuring within 12 to 18 months, there will be a, a vaccine for coronavirus that at least lessens the impact of coronavirus. And again, they're, they're sort of expecting this to become just another strain of seasonal flu. Here is the best news, honestly, about coronavirus is that coronavirus and flu, it mostly affects people who are older than 65. So that's obviously not great news. But the fact is that it's not affecting people who are young and healthy. Okay, the stuff that would be truly scary is if young and healthy people were dying off in vast numbers from the flu. Coronavirus seems to be targeting and killing people who are or at least affecting people disproportionately who have a secondary illness, people who already have some sort of lung disease, people who are, who already 
have pneumonia, right? It's killing off a lot of people who are in that particular age group. But apparently it is not actually having a significant impact on children, particularly very young ones, which is honestly for me, I have two kids under the age of six. Like that, that's that's good news for me, especially because kids constantly have their hands in their mouths. They, they go to these germ factories where they're, con- they're called schools, where they're constantly infecting each other. Those cases tend to be extremely mild. So the Trump administration correctly is saying, We've be, we're handling this thing. Like, please do not incite a panic, right? The, President Trump came out. He said, listen, we've taken aggressive action against this thing. And, and any attempt to, to downplay that aggressive action is just a lie. Since the early stages of the foreign outbreak, my administration has taken the most aggressive action in modern history to confront the spread of this disease. We moved very early. That was one of the decisions we made. Uh, that really turned out to be a, a, a lifesaver in a sense, big lifesaver. Uh, on January 31st, I imposed travel restrictions on foreign nations who had, and anybody that had been to China or people coming out of China. Hey, this is all true, obviously. One of the things that is truly impressive about the, the, um, about the media and the Democrats is their reaction to all of this. Maybe I'll save that for a thing that I hate. But okay, well, we get to let's let's do a quick thing I like, and then we'll get to some things that I hate. So things that I like today. So there, there's a great science fiction book recommended to me, to me by producer Nick, who has time to read because we're not apparently burdening him enough with his work. And he plays the banjo and he whittles things and he reads science fiction novels. But that means that he sometimes has good picks in terms of his literary references. Isaac Asimov's The End of Eternity. Uh, it's it's a really good time travel novel uh, that that. Fewer people know about now than they probably should. Everybody sort of knows the Foundation Trilogy, but The End of Eternity, which I'd never heard of, is really quite terrific. Uh, It's a really well-thought-out, well-plotted take on, let's say in the future, there are a group of people who could come back and change the past and sort of change the past to avoid great pandemics and and great nuclear explosions and, and avoid all of the worst things. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? The book is Isaac Asimov's The End of Eternity and worth the read. Okay, time for a big thing that I hate. Okay, so let's talk about the Democratic response to the coronavirus thing. So the Democratic response to the coronavirus thing has been absolutely insane. So as we see, President Trump has said, listen, we've been handling this thing. Correct. And then President Trump came out. He said, I'm asking the media not to incite a panic. Right? We should not be inciting a panic here. This, of course, is exactly right as well. The media overplaying the risks of coronavirus in an irresponsible way, suggesting that we are on the verge of a great pandemic that's going to kill tens of millions of Americans and that the Trump administration is botching it is politically driven. Here's Trump saying that, and he's correct. I'd like to just ask and uh, caution that the media, we would respectfully ask the media and politicians and everybody else involved not do anything to incite a panic because there's no reason to panic at all. Uh, This is something that is being handled professionally. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's the head of the National Institute of Health, there there were accusations last week that because this operation was being run through Mike Pence. The PR operation was being run through the vice president's office, which is just trying to consolidate information so you don't have vast swaths of misinformation running around. Fauci said, listen, I'm not being muzzled. The media tried to claim that he was being muzzled. He's like, I'm not being muzzled. What the hell are you talking about? Let me clarify it. I have never been muzzled ever. And I've been doing this since the administration of Ronald Reagan. I'm not being muzzled by this administration. What happened, which was misinterpreted, is that we were set up to go on some shows. And when the vice president took over, we said, let's regroup and figure out how we're going to be communicating. So I had to just stand down on a couple of shows and resubmit for clearance. And when I resubmitted for clearance, 
I got cleared. So I have not been muzzled at all. That was a real misrepresentation of what happened. Okay, Fauci served under President Obama as well. He served under multiple administrations. So he's saying, listen, we're not hiding any information here. Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, says it's pretty obvious here that people are overreacting and treating this as a massive crisis when it is not. It is a crisis for the factory production in China. It is not a crisis for the average American. You're seeing people who are stocking up on masks. By the way, here is the basic rule about masks. And masks, masks, medical masks are designed to prevent people from coughing in your face, for example. But the reality is that unless you have a high probability of being coughed on by someone with coronavirus, it's not going to serve you well. So you really should be allowing the medical professionals who are going to be treating people who come in with symptoms to have the medical masks at this point. You want to handle coronavirus in your own life? Wash your hands a lot. Don't touch your face a lot. That's pretty much all you can do. And again, the symptoms of coronavirus, particularly for people who are young and healthy, are not severe. What you're seeing is that it's really bad for like old age homes, nursing homes, that sort of thing. Here's Alex Azar saying people are overreacting. We are trying to give the American people all the information we have when we have it so they don't think there's secret information they're not getting. Uh, that at least helps. We, we say what uncertainties we've got. And as we resolve them, we try to so clarify. People are overreacting? I, yes, absolutely. If people going out and buying face masks, that's not necessary. In fact, we need those masks for the people who should be using them, which are healthcare workers taking care of patients. Okay, he's right that on an, on an individual level, the masks are not going to help you. They may help you marginally, but for healthcare workers, they do make a very large difference. Bottom line is that everybody who actually understands the issue, right, left, and center, is saying this is not yet a crisis. It doesn't look like it's going to become a crisis. Mike Pence says that, right? Mike Pence says the risk remains low for the average American, which is true. I mean, just like the, the risk of dying by flu remains fairly low for the average American. Here's Mike Pence. The American people should know the risk for the average American remains low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can be confident. And, uh, and after th- three days leading the president's effort on the coronavirus, uh, I- I'm more confident than ever that we are bringing a whole of government approach. The president has directed the full resources of the federal government and talking with governors around the country, particularly in states where we brought people back home. So Pence says all of that. And then he says the same thing on on Face the Nation with Chuck Todd and or meet the president, Chuck Todd. And Chuck Todd then proceeds to ask whether he's, be, he's gaslighting him, right? This is the, the attitude of the media and the Democrats, as we'll see, is that the Trump administration, which, again, has not mishandled this, right? There's no evidence they've mishandled this. There is no evidence at this point that this thing is going to become a major, a major crisis inside America's borders. We have very good health, public health facilities in the United States. We are handling this thing. Okay, it doesn't matter. The media are proclaiming that this is a crisis. Here's Chuck Todd asking if the American people are being gaslit after being informed after the American people are informed by doctors on the left, on the right, on MSNBC, right, by, by Fauci, who is the guy who's supposedly being muzzled, that nobody's being muzzled, that the information is out there, that we're handling this. Here's Chuck Todd asking Mike Pence if we're being gaslit about coronavirus. What facts are there that Democrats are doing this? Well, it seems like people are asking questions and they're concerned about the virus. This, this implies some sort of political motivation, which is kind of gross. Well, I, I, I will tell you, there's been a lot of irresponsible rhetoric among Democrats and commentators. Who, who is this? On the left. Name some names, sir. Well, uh, because this is just, uh, it just feels like gaslighting. P- please name some names. I'm, I'm a, we're all big. Well, read, we're all big read, people here. Name some names. There was a column in the New York Times that's, uh, that by a prominent liberal journalist that said uh, we should rename it the Trump virus. Okay, that, that, that is, does that apply, to, does that apply to, to all people? So that the president would be blamed. Chuck, this, this, this virus me? began in China. Okay, well, listen to Chuck Todd there. You're gaslighting me. You're gaslighting me. Nobody has said this thing. So, so Pence then gives him a name. And then he's like, well, that's not everybody. That's not everybody. Okay, I'm going to give you some names. You ready? Here are some names of people. 
who have been completely gaslighting the American public about the Trump virus and, and how this is all Trump's fault. Okay, Elizabeth Warren, perfect example. So Elizabeth Warren comes out yesterday. She says, I can't think of a worse person in charge of this thing than Mike Pence, right? The, the worst person you could imagine be in charge of this thing is Mike Pence. Here is, here is Elizabeth Warren, desperate for attention with the crazy eyes and everything over on MSNBC. Let me just say that the vice president, uh, Pence, he is the wrong person to be leading this. He is actually the one guy around who has experience in dealing with a virus that gets out of control. Only he's the guy who went in exactly the wrong direction. He paid more attention to politics than he did to science. And that really created a health crisis in his state of Indiana. I cannot think of a worse person to put in charge of dealing with this coronavirus. So it's a disaster, now. right? It's all a disaster. It's a disaster because we're putting, and then you have Chris Hayes frowning at it. Okay, what did Mike Pence do that was so bad? He wasn't in favor of needle exchanges for HIV. Okay, that is a very controversial public policy. The federal government should be facilitating intravenous drug use. Okay, that, that is a very controversial policy that, that the taxpayer should be picking up the, the, the cost of people shooting heroin into their veins. Okay, that's, that's pretty wild stuff. Okay, and then Elizabeth Warren had a, had another take. If that take wasn't enough, she then tweeted out a picture. He said, Mike Pence tweeted out a picture. Today, we had a very productive meeting of the White House Coronavirus Task Force in the Situation Room. We placed additional travel restrictions on Iran, and we are increasing the travel advisory to level four, urging Americans not to travel to specific regions in Italy and South Korea. Okay, and it's basically a meeting of the cabinet. You can see various members of the cabinet there, and including, by the way, Ben Carson, as well as um, there, there are a couple other figures here who are not white people. Okay, but why, why would that possibly matter? Who cares? This is a coronavirus task meeting. Right? This is about trying to figure out how to stop coronavirus. Elizabeth Warren tweets out, we're facing both a public health crisis and a potential economic crisis. We urgently need top experts at the table in public health and medicine, many of whom are women. This isn't it. Many of whom are women. How about you name some of the people who should be in the room who aren't in the room? See, my first reaction when I'm thinking task force for coronavirus isn't, I wonder how many people have vaginas handling this thing. Like, that really is not even on my list, it turns out. I don't care. I want the people who are going to help stop coronavirus. I love that Elizabeth Warren's first take is, well, you know, that's a lot of white guys. That's a lot of men, a lot of penises in that room talking about coronavirus. Is there a special female access to knowledge with regard to coronavirus? Is there a specific person who was barred because of gender from this room? Like, a lady came in and she was like, oh, well, you know. So some woman came in, she's like, I, I'm the expert, the world expert on coronavirus. And suddenly Pence is like, I can't be in a room alone with you because my because mommy says no, my wife says no. So I'm sorry, we're going to have to deal with coronavirus on our own. Like, what the hell is she talking about? But Chuck Todd says it's gaslighting to point out that Democrats are doing this routine. Okay, another example. So President Trump did a rally. At the rally, he points out that the Democrats are hoaxing the American people about the Trump administration blowing coronavirus. He doesn't say coronavirus itself is a hoax. He doesn't say that coronavirus itself is non-threatening. He says the Democrats are lying to you about the Trump administration mishandling this thing and that the Democrats are lying to you that you're going to die from coronavirus and that we're all at tremendous, tremendous risk from coronavirus. The data aren't there to support that. Here is President Trump saying that. And then we'll see the Democrats lying about this. And then you'll see Chuck Todd lying about the Democrats lying about this. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus, you know that, right? Coronavirus. They're politicizing it. They tried anything. They tried it over and over. They've been doing it since you got in. It's all turning. They lost. It's all turning. Think of it. Think of it. And this is their new hoax. Okay, that, I mean, that's just, 
So he says, what's the new hoax? The new hoax is that Democrats are making this into a big issue, that we blew it, right? Okay, and he's right about, so Democrats did that, right? Then Biden comes out and he and he falsely claims that Trump called coronavirus itself a hoax. Here is Joe Biden just completely misreading Trump's statements in the dumbest possible way. I don't want to talk down the possibility of us being able to do this well. But, you know, the idea that Donald Trump said just several days ago, this was a Democratic hoax. What in God's name is he talking about? What in God's name is he talking about? Has he no shame? We're in a situation where and I, I, I respect Vice President Pence and his him being put in charge. But we should be hearing from the scientists. Trump did not call coronavirus a hoax. Bloomberg then did the same thing, right? Bloomberg comes out. He says, oh, Trump called coronavirus a hoax. He didn't. He said that you guys are lying about the impact of coronavirus and that you are lying that the Trump administration is blowing it. And then the media don't ask a follow up. Like, where's the follow up, guys? By the way, F- Facebook actually fact checked Michael Bloomberg's statements on this. And even Facebook was like, um, yeah, that's that's not true. Like they didn't take down Bloomberg's ad over it because they don't take down ads on the basis of fact checking, which is the correct policy. But even they were like, um, this is not right. Like Trump didn't call coronavirus a hoax. He just said that you guys are lying about it. Here's Bloomberg lying about it. I find it incomprehensible that the president would do something as inane as calling it a hoax, which he did last night in South Carolina. He, he said that the Democrats making so much of it is a Democratic hoax, not uh, that the virus was a hoax. This is up to the scientists and the doctors as to whether there is a problem. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. They're just lying about what Trump said. And then Chuck Todd says to Mike Pence, well, you keep saying that the Democrats are criticizing you unfairly. You're gaslighting us. The unbelievable lies they will tell to get Trump are truly Trump is not the center of the universe. I, I like Trump likes Trump, but you guys love Trump much more. Members of the media, the Democrats, they love Trump because it allows them to turn everything into a story about Trump when the story is not actually about Trump. OK, so don't forget, we want to hear from you. Tell us who you think will win the Democratic nomination by texting either Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, Warren to 83 400 on Tuesday night during our Daily Wire backstage. We'll analyze the results live again. Text either Biden Bernie, Bloomberg, Warren to 83400. We will analyze the results on Daily Wire Backstage this Tuesday. We are doing Super Tuesday coverage. And even if my wife is in labor, I will find a way to be part of that broadcast. We'll figure this thing out together. But today is the day before Super Tuesday. Tomorrow is a big day. Super Tuesday, stay tuned. We have two additional hours of content coming up later today, or we'll see you here tomorrow in preparation for Super Tuesday. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. NBC newsman Chuck Todd says it's ridiculous to think the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. So we'll take the Chuck Todd challenge and see if we can prove that Chuck Todd is a lion dog faced pony soldier on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 